Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 17, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, December 15th are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10803. The 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10804. This morning, A Vision for You presents Half Measures Availed Us Nothing. The 12 steps are introduced in Chapter 5 of the Big Book with these words, Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Our path is the 12 steps. They are the heart of recovery. To work the program is to work the 12 steps. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. The big book provides clear-cut directions to these steps and its approach to recovery. The disease of compulsive overeating has beaten us into a state of reasonableness. Our experience of powerlessness becomes our driving force of desperation to be ready and willing to do anything which will free us from the bondage of our disease. Joining us today to share her story of transformation as a result of these 12 steps is Kathy Jo P., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Kathy Jo is devoted to our way of life and to carrying this message of recovery. Good morning, Kathy Jo. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much. Hello, my name is Kathy Jo P. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater who is abstinent from all of my alcoholic foods since June of 2016. Harlan says, happily, I will add the word contently. I would like to start with a prayer. And even though you all are muted, I'd like you, if you can, to say it out loud with me. Repeat after me. I am grateful to be... I am grateful to be here. I am grateful to be here with you. And I am very grateful to be with you, my people, today. Um, I grew up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota as the oldest of five. My dad appeared to be a compulsive overeater. He weighed more than 300 pounds. He owned restaurants and he was a gourmet chef. My mom was thin. She was a dietitian. She was a good Catholic farm girl, and my dad lived a pretty racy life, which included um, illegal gambling. That did not make me a compulsive overeater. My dad left a tape for me after he died, and he talked about waking me up at 2 in the morning when I was 2 years old and feeding me french fries and malts in the middle of the night, which he brought home with him from the restaurant. That did not make me a compulsive overeater. I have two brothers and two sisters that grew up in the same home. They do not appear to be compulsive overeaters. I am a true compulsive overeater with food, just like the true alcoholic is described in the big book on pages 21 and 22 in There is a Solution. I am a compulsive overeater because I am a compulsive overeater. At age nine, I was at the swimming pool and a boy called me fat. 
that night, I crept into my mom's room, and I tapped her on the hand, and I said, Mom, Mom, I'm fat. She said, don't worry about it. Everyone has their cross to bear. And she patted me back, and she fell to sleep. A few days later, my mom dropped me off at TOPS, which stands for Take Off Pound Sensibly. She had my skinny little sister go with me. Her nickname was Chicken Legs. That's how skinny she was. I walked into the room and I saw a lot of very large women that were like my mom's age. And every week we would have a contest. There was no diet plan or anything like that, but we were supposed to diet. And whoever lost the most weight, we paid for their dinner. I won almost every week, and we would go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, which was in the parking lot. I tried a few other diets at that time. Um, Eventually, I left that one, and for instance, I did AIDS candies, which were A-Y-D-S. Those things were really good. I would eat the whole entire box, caramel-flavored, fudge-flavored. I also went to a hypnotist for a while. And I remember when the hypnotist was swinging this thing in front of my face, I could smell cigarettes on him. And I kept thinking, if this works, why is he not doing this for cigarettes? A couple months later, my mom brought me the obituaries, and she said, look, your hypnotist died. And so I quit going to him. There was a lot of emphasis in my family on my eating and my weight and what I ate and what I didn't eat and whether or not I was going to lose weight. Everyone ignored my dad was big and focused on me. I was promised rewards like new wardrobes and money. Friends were asked to help me lose weight. It was a constant thing going on in my family. I was very unhappy. I remember feeling very alone, very sad. I thought, okay, I'm on this earth, and when I die in this miserable place, I'm going to go to heaven, and then I'm going to be happy. But life is never supposed to be happy. I had this thing with cinnamon candy. I had this recipe. In fact, when I graduated from eighth grade, people said that I was going to open up a cinnamon candy factory. I made cinnamon candy probably five days a week. I knew the recipe by heart. And I would keep trays and trays of it under my bed, and I would break off pieces and just lay in my bed and suck on this cinnamon candy. It was like a pacifier to me. I remember just feeling like zoning out eating the cinnamon candy. I also ate a lot of caramel rolls. I'd put them in the microwave and saturate them with butter. I would go through the drive through after school and get a Whopper at Burger King. And I remember being in gym class and not even being able to move a foot on the scooters and be mortified. In fact, I wrote about it in a journal when I was in third grade. I was never picked for sports teams. I could never master a pull-up. My freshman year in high school, I got into Weight Watchers. I joined it at 179 pounds, and I never cheated once. I was a good dieter. I did it perfectly. I got to my goal weight, which was 124 pounds, and I met with a maintenance lady, and she sat down with me, and she showed me this chart. And she said, now you get to add one of these things to your diet each day. I looked at the list, and I saw Cheetos, donuts, ice cream bars. 
So the first day I went up to the line and I said, I'll have a bag of Cheetos. The next day I got a chocolate donut. And the third day I got an ice cream bar. And the fourth day I couldn't decide what I wanted my treat to be. So I grabbed my lunch. And by the way, my lunch was that bread that two pieces of it was like 50 calories. If anyone knows the name of that darn bread, I would love to know because I have yet to remember what it was called. And I threw that tuna sandwich and those celery sticks and the apple in the garbage, and I walked up to the line, and I ordered a donut, an ice cream bar, and Cheetos. And I was off to the races. By my senior year, I weighed 231 pounds. I barely dieted back then. I tried a few things. I did like the cabbage soup diet. I did a granola bar diet. I did Dexatrim, which basically was like speed, and it made me high. I wanted so bad to be thin. I remember looking in magazines, and at the back of the magazines, there would be like these horse camps, diet camps. They all were on the East Coast, and they all cost about $1,200. And I thought, when will I ever get the money to afford one of those? But I knew in the back of my mind, yeah, I could go, but I would end up coming back and breaking my dieting again and get fat again. I knew there was no permanent way that this would ever work. I heard about people having their mouths wired shut. I thought, would that be the answer? But I felt that hunger inside, that bear inside that needed to eat, and I knew even that wouldn't work for me. I thought about having my fat cut off. I thought, is there a way that they could just slice this crap off of me? I wanted to have cancer. My freshman year in college, I came in and I spent a lot of time drinking very sweet alcoholic drinks, eating a lot of ice cream and a lot of chips. I would smuggle this stuff up into my dorm and I was sort of like zoned out. My sophomore year in college, I opened up the phone book and I looked up Overeaters Anonymous. I don't remember where I heard about it on my journey, but somehow or another I knew about it. Maybe it was from one of my Kentucky Fried Chicken meetings. I walked in the room and I saw this woman and she was 5'8 and appeared to be at goal weight with long blonde hair. I was 5'8, 231 pounds, and I had long blonde hair. And I thought, I'm going to ask her to be my sponsor. They said, ask someone that has what you want. And I looked and I went 5'8, blonde, thin. And she told me four things. Go to meetings, don't eat sugar, don't eat between meals, and call me every day. And so I did that. I ended up going to a lot of meetings. I ended up being very involved in a lot of different meetings, and I continued the exact same way that she told me to do my program. I did a few four steps, and I did a few fifth steps, and a handful of amends. I'm going to say they weren't a direct amends. They more were like drive-by shootings, like I would just explode at someone and say, I'm so sorry that I was so mean to you, and blah, 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 and run away from them. I didn't know how to do a direct amend. I didn't want that intimacy. Um, I was pretty much abstinent, meaning I didn't eat sugar and I didn't eat between meals. And I got almost to my goal weight, but I was not at peace with food. I still ate compulsively, like driving across town to find carob raisins sweetened with fruit juice. I would make concoctions like whole wheat carrot cake sweetened with pineapple juice. I would make quiche that was just loaded and loaded with fat and lots of other concoctions. I was still trying to get my flu on Blueberry Hill. (laughs) 
And I was more religious than spiritual. My dad died in 1982 of a heart attack at age 49. And before he died, he made peace with me. And I can tell you to this day, I am at complete peace with my dad. Um, After seven years in OA, I decided I did not need to go anymore. And soon afterwards, literally probably three days later, I picked up sugar. It started with lemonade at a movie. And this resulted in a 22-year relapse. I gained 120 pounds within the first three years out, and eventually I gained another 22. Most days I pretended like I didn't care. I went to back to Weight Watchers a few times, lost maybe 30 pounds. I did a few fads. I did almost all the fads, I guess. I did low-fat, low-carb, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. When I was pregnant or nursing, I decided this is the heyday. This is the time where I get to eat with a vengeance, and I don't even have to try to eat right. And, man, did I load up on ice cream. I wasn't trying to feed my babies in a healthy way. I just thought I get bulk and I got a free ticket to eat whatever I want. I thought about weight loss surgery, but I literally lied to myself. I was 142 pounds overweight and I would look up people in the the eye and I would believe my lie and I would say, I don't qualify for weight loss surgery. You have to be at least 100 pounds overweight. And I'm 80. I couldn't own the 142. I was like a super with no clothes on. I remember after I got abstinent from sugar a few years ago, a friend of mine said, I'm never going to forget when we went out to lunch with five junior leaguers, and they were all like married to CEOs, thin, beautiful ladies, and you ate the entire basket of bread with butter. I had no shame. I just did it in front of everybody. People talk about eating in private. I didn't eat in private. I ate right in front of you. I could not diet. I could not pull off one day. I could not abstain from sugar, even if I tried. I kept thinking... Okay, tomorrow's going to be the day. I'm going to eat better, but I couldn't do it. So again, I would just pretend like I was okay with it and pretend like I didn't care if I was fat. One time my son came up to me and I was sitting on the couch and I was doing Weight Watchers at that time. And I remember I would buy those boxes of um, point bars. And I would always hesitate in line of how many boxes I should buy because they were expensive. They were not cheap. And I remember when they came out with the minis, I thought, oh, good, you get 10 in a box instead of five. So instead of two points, there were one point. So this should last me however many days. But as I was in line, I knew they wouldn't last me because I couldn't control myself. Anyway, my son came zooming zooming in. He was about four years old, and I was eating. I have the box on the couch with me. And he said, Mom, when I get fat like you, do I get to eat those weight bars? Um, I also would go to McDonald's and get the three-point twist cone. And, man, did I know how to flirt with the people in line because they would make me the giant twist cone, which probably ended up as seven points, but I still counted it as three. And I would drive away with my twist cone and be like, oh, they're so nice to me. They gave me the big one. And then I would get to Weight Watchers and I wouldn't lose. And I kept thinking, how come I'm not losing? And I would be so upset with that. Um, I got scared because I could not pull together one day without eating to complete abandon. But again, I pretended like I didn't care. I made a couple um, appearances at OA towards the end. I remember um, 
thinking, okay, what I got to do is I got to find a sponsor who manages sugar because the word on the street was there were people in OA now that ate sugar and managed it. And I thought, I'm going to find one. And I found her. She was down 100 pounds and she ate sugar. And I thought, okay, will you be my sponsor? How do you do this? And she said, the only way that I ever eat sugar is when I plan it. And I commit it to my sponsor. And I'm like, okay, gotcha. All right, got it. And literally the next day I'd be at the co-op. I'd be checking out at the grocery store. And as I check out, I would buy seven of those caramels that are a buck each. And I'd get in the car and I'd eat them as I drive home. And then I'd get home and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I forgot. I'm supposed to plan my sugar. I'm supposed to call her. I'm not supposed to just eat this. And then I forgot that I wasn't supposed to do that. And then three days would go by, and I forgot that I cared <laughs> and that it was even a part of my plan. In this process, I ran into a woman that was in the rooms one day, and she has been abstinent for 35 years and the same body weight. She does traditional OA. She doesn't do a complicated program, just a simple program. And there was, there was she at the co-op with her little salad and her chicken breast and an apple and in line. And I had my cart full of organic Cheetos and organic Oreos. And I remember thinking, I've, you know, I'm a snob. I got all this food thing figured out. And I saw her and I looked at her and I was like, do you still not eat sugar? And she said, a day at a time. And I remember thinking, <laughs> so rigid. Why, why do you do that? But she looked happy. She looked at peace. And that was impacting for me. Quite a few times I got stopped in my tracks. Um, I was at Valley Fair, our amusement park here in Minnesota. And my son, the year before they had gotten this ride that was supposed to be the roller coaster to the max, and my son was finally big enough tall enough to go on the roller coaster. So we got in line for it, and I love roller coasters. And we were in line for 45 minutes, and we got up there, and I did not fit. And I remember thinking, I just wish I could disappear. I want to go away. I was stopped. I didn't want to be in that place. I couldn't breathe. It was horrible, and my little boy was just looking at me like, what are we going to do, Mom? I want to go on this ride. And I looked in line, and there were two college guys. And I looked at them, and I said, but why don't you do me a favor and ride with my son on this ride? And I went, oh, I got it figured out. I am a master. I know how to fix anything. I am so great. And as I walked away, my heart just sunk. And I was walking down that sidewalk to the exit and as I walked a little voice said you've got to go back to OA you've got to get off sugar and I was like okay I will and by the time I got to the end of the sidewalk there was a cotton candy stand I walked up and I bought this cotton candy that was probably eight dollars and I ate the whole entire thing on the bench and I have to tell you I do not like cotton candy but I needed that quick sugar to take away all those feelings of discomfort that I felt at that moment. And I walked away from that park that day, and for two years, I forgot that moment. I stuffed it somewhere, and I didn't remember it. I didn't remember that I wanted to come back to OA. I didn't remember that I couldn't eat sugar. I just put it out of my mind. 
I got on airplanes and the seatbelt didn't go around me. I had to ask for an extender. Again, I wanted to pretend this isn't happening. When I had my C-section with my son, they could not find where to put in the um, anesthesia because of the weight on my back. And I knew that was what was happening. It was horrible. It hurt so bad as they poked and poked and poked to find the right spot. I was scared, but I refused to admit my powerlessness. I was at a wedding, and I was eating a plateful of breakfast potatoes with ketchup, high fructose corn ketchup, corn syrup. And my cousin, who is six months older than me, leaned across the table in front of all and said, you're killing yourself eating those breakfast potatoes. I wanted to take my fork and lunge across the table and stab him. After the meal, I looked at him and I said, in the future, if you have something to say to me about my food, don't say it in front of other people, especially in front of my children. And as I followed him to the elevator and he was getting on with his little boy and his very tiny, thin Asian wife, I came to the elevator and he said, I find it odd that someone who constantly crosses other people's boundaries and brings up things at inappropriate times is telling me there's an appropriate time to talk to you about your eating. And by the way, you're killing yourself eating those breakfast potatoes. After the wedding, I saw a picture of David and I, and again, I was at 303 pounds. My face was greasy. I looked horrible. And I looked at that picture, and I showed a friend, and I said, I cannot stand this picture. I look just terrible. And she said, someday you're going to look at this picture, and you're going to see two people that love each other very much. My blood pressure was out of control. I was seeing a homeopath, a body worker, a chiropractor, an herb lady. We, I was so obsessed with getting my blood pressure down, but I wouldn't take blood pressure medication because it wasn't good for me. I was scared to take it. I was Miss Organic, Miss Herb, Miss Witch Doctor Lady that you know had to find a natural way. And meanwhile, I was ODing on milk duds and alcohol and Cheetos. My plantar fasciitis was so bad that I had to crawl down, practically crawl up and down the steps because the arch of my foot hurt so bad. I was out of breath. I was having mood swings. My marriage was a disaster. I, I explain this by telling you one thing is we have a king-size bed. We literally, I literally tied a red ribbon exactly halfway, I measured it, to the railing on the bed because I didn't want him to come on my side of the bed and he didn't want me on his side of the bed. We didn't want to touch each other because we didn't like each other. We were living together, but we were not a couple. And that marker was, because I was so big, I always ended up getting on his side and crowding him. I had headaches so bad in the middle of the night that I would be woken up by them. And I think they were from both the blood pressure and the sugar that I was eating. I had swollen fingers. One day I was talking with my homeopath and I was telling her, you've got to fix this. You've got to help me. What are we going to do? And she said, Kathy Joe, I can't help you if you don't help yourself. And I remember hearing in my head, you've got to get off sugar and go back to OA. I asked my, new, my chiropractor in November if she would help me um, get a food plan. And she said, Kathy Joe, I would do anything to help you but I'm so afraid you're not going to listen to me. 
I had a friend who needed AA, and I started to get on websites to try to find her help, and I found a local food treatment here. It's a five-day program. And I decided, you know, maybe I should go there someday. And I looked it up, and I noticed that there was one two days later. And I thought, well, I can't go to that because my 50th is around the corner. And if I go, I'm going to have to give up sugar, and then I'm not going to be able to have birthday cake. i got to have birthday cake. And again, I don't like birthday cake, but I have to have birthday cake. And then I started to think, my dad died at age 49 of a heart attack. I'm 49. I want to live. I think I want to live. I have kids. I want to be there for my grandkids. And then I started to think, okay, if I go, I'll lose two pounds a week. That means I'll lose 11 pounds by the time my 50th birthday comes. And everybody's going to say, oh, my God, you look so great. So instead of weighing 303, I'm going to weigh 291. I have to tell you vanity one. I called. I signed up. The night before I left, I found out that my husband was in relapse in his own active addictions. I called the place and I said, you know what, I'm not coming. I'm leaving my husband and I'm moving to Omaha. And the gal on the line said, as you respond to this crisis, do you want to be whole or broken? And I said, all right, I'll see you at 3.30. And I showed up there 142 pounds overweight, unloading my car, barely able to breathe or walk or get in the door. I thought I had a black belt in food because I knew all about organic. I fought it so hard. I did not want to give up sugar. I did not want to give up my 50th um, cake. One of the people there, when they were speaking one day, said, only to the extent that I can be wrong can I be free. I wrote that down, but I didn't understand that. Another said, if food were a drug, I would live under a bridge. I left with a sponsor, and it was that gal that I ran into at the co-op the one that had been at the same weight for 35 years. A quote that she lives by is, only the disciplined are free. I went to meetings, I gave up sugar, I showed up, and I kept coming back. They talk about half measures. I have to tell you, I did third measures. I barely can say I did half. I was on plateau purgatory after a year and a half in. I lost 66 pounds, but I could not break that. I want you to know I also was drinking alcohol and a few other alcoholic foods that I was unwilling to let go of. I began to think my whole entire journey was about my food plan. I tried so many things, no dairy, no wheat, no corn. I would look at the willow diet and think I have to do that. I asked a man that was down 100 pounds, what's your abstinence? And he looked at me and said, put the crap down, sweetheart. I didn't want to put the crap down. I would go out to eat and I would overeat, especially on fats. I ate huge bowls of popcorn. I thought, you know, I'm going to start some other day. I'll weigh and measure a different day. I had sponsees, but because I wasn't spiritually fit, I had nothing to give them. I did fourth and fifth steps, but I never did any amends. I was on not only a physical plateau, but I was on a spiritual plateau. I did another fifth step and fourth and fifth step, and I had my TMJ so bad that I ended up grinding my one of my teeth so bad that it had to be removed. There's a girl I used to call. Whenever I was restless, irritable, and discontent, I would call her up. 
and I would tell her all the reasons I was upset. And she would say, Kathy Jo, you are on a man. Kathy Jo, you have to clean your side of the street. And I would hang up the phone and I would be like, why is she so harsh? And then I would call her again. There's a saying, if you hit bottom, stop digging. I was like a gerbil on a wheel. I was miserable and I was frantic. I pretended like I was okay where I was. I would see pictures and mirrors and I would be mortified. All my energy was into what I ate and what I didn't eat. I kept thinking, I'll do better. I'll eat less. I'll be kinder. I'll be more giving. I'll be more loving. But the self-knowledge got me nowhere. I was filled with justified anger and resentments. My life was a mess. I was still crowded in my king bed. I felt like everyone else had the handbook on how to behave and get along. I collided with everyone. I refused to surrender and let go of all my alcoholic foods, which again included alcohol, and to do the work that would bring me peace and recovery. And one day I invited someone in another program to come to a speaker meeting where the, at the place that I had gone to for my treatment. And we heard a gal, and she was incredible. We left, and a month later I asked her to come back. And Patrick was speaking. He's the guy that was the opening speaker at the conference this year. And my friend heard his message, and she dove in full speed. She did not do half measures. She got a big book. She got highlighters. She was doing service, and she was losing weight, and she was glowing with the spirit of this program. And as she transformed both physically and spiritually before me, I felt confronted and, and inspired. I remember around that time I called that girl that was honest with me on the phone, the one that did not twirl in the toilet with me and listen to me all, to all my problems. And I called her and I said, I, I got it figured out. I, you know how some people don't have to weigh and measure? Um, they only weigh and measure at home, but they don't weigh and measure when they go out to eat. I need to weigh and measure when I go out to eat. Maybe not at home, but that's when I overeat. And she said, Kathy Joe, the minute you think you have it licked. And I remember thinking, wow, she burst my bubble again. And two days later, I called her up and I said, you take people through the big book, don't you? And she said, yes, I do. And I said, will you take me? And we started to go through the big book. And about a week later, I ended up with that other friend of mine that was working the program so well at Lori's big book study. And I let go of alcohol. And then the gal said to me, you know, there's these phone meetings you should try. You should get on one of these phone meetings. And I said, what is that? And she told me a vision for you. And she told me the phone number. And I said, what time is it? And she said, 6 a.m. And I was like, are you crazy? There is no way I'm going to do that. And the next morning, God woke me up at 5.45 a.m. And I got on the line. And I heard you people. And I heard you sharing your experience, strength, and hope while I sat in the dark with tears just going down my face. A couple days later, the gal that was taking me through the big book called me up and said, Kathy Joe, I can't work with you anymore. I'm not abstinent. I made a commitment when I came into this program to, to um, return every phone call. I had nine calls left to return on my phone, and I called them all to find out if there was a sponsor out there, and I found her. And the first thing that she said to me is, have you given up all your alcoholic foods? And I told her, well, I gave up sugar. I gave up alcohol. All right. And I knew what else I needed to let go of. And I said, okay, I'll do it. 
I was willing to do whatever it took. I did all the steps. And I want to say the biggest reason I was ready is because I heard the hope and the joy and the freedom that you all had. It wasn't just my misery. I saw the transformations that were going on. I heard a definition of abstinence once that was, you don't wake up the next day and you don't say, oh, crap. So I gave up all those things and amounts and behaviors. I was afraid to feel empty, but I was willing. I met with my sponsor on the phone in the dark early in the morning. To this day, I can tell you I returned every phone call that I received. Every once in a while along the way, I got so scared of doing it right. But I kept saying to my sponsor, I'm trusting God that I'm right where I need to be. I noticed when I started to do the work that, oh my gosh, was I irritable and oh my gosh, was I judgmental. I remember one day being at the co-op and this skinny girl was walking in the co-op and I thought her heels were too loud. And I called my sponsor. I was filled with judgment and irritations that I didn't even know that I had. Um, a neighbor of mine had a problem with some weeds as I was working on my fourth and fifth stop. And I remember being obsessed with them and worried about them and mad at that she had them and didn't have it control over them. And one day I realized, this is my character defects. This is an example of how they are and how they go everywhere. And I decided to be of service. It was my job to help get through this. I say that I needed a God that did what M&Ms did for me. There's a saying in the program that when we are abstinent, our addict is doing push-ups. I also believe with my heart of hearts that when we're out there in the food, that our God is doing push-ups. That I was able to do 61 amends, meet with my sponsor at early 5 a.m. to do this work, that I can tell you there's no way I would have ever been able to do this other than that God helped me do it. In the chapter to the agnostics, it ends with draw near to God and he will reveal himself to you. It does not say God will reveal himself to you and then you get to draw near to him. I am having an entire psychic change. Two months into this, we had, we, in May we were in therapy and my husband said the only reason I stay in this marriage is to protect the kids from Kathy. And he wasn't talking about physical abuse. He was talking about the screaming, the belittling, belittling, the criticizing, the bossiness, the rage. Two months into this process, we went into therapy and he sat down and he said, I am no longer in this marriage to protect the kids from Kathy. Kathy has changed so much. Um, our goal is to have the best possible relationship with every person we know. As I did my amends, I felt the heavens open up and I started to feel the sunlight of the spirit more and more. And they got easier as I went on. Some of the people I had to write letters to because they wouldn't speak to me. I owed amends to my sponsees for not being spiritually fit, not helping them the way that they deserved. I had financial amends to make. One of them I'm going to tell you is I used to park at the YWCA and I had a ticket that never expired and I owed them for parking. And I remember every single time I pulled out of the YWCA parking lot, I felt horrible. 
when I went in to meet with them and I was going to do the front desk girl, out of my mouth came, can I speak with the manager? And I sat with her and I told her that I lied and stole from them and didn't pay for parking. And I said, would you be willing to look up how many times I came here in the past five years since you got this new machine so I can figure out what I owe you? To park there was 50 cents. I owed them $32. I walked around not being able to look at my fellows in the eyes to get $32 out of a nonprofit, the YWCA, that helps youth. Um, I'm pausing here for one minute because I know I'm running out of time. Um, one of the things is sometimes I struggle with delaying my amends, the 10-step ten, ten amends. I take my time. I don't want to do it. Sometimes it's because I feel embarrassed. Well, most often it's because I feel embarrassed of my behavior. This past August, my niece and nephew came to see us, and I was crabby as we were getting out the door, and I was bossing everybody around and saying, don't snack at that. We're going out to dinner. We're going to the play, Every, you know, whatever. And I called a fellow, and she said, yeah, you owe an amend. And I didn't do it. And we got to dinner, and I was done eating, and a fellow called me. And I noticed that the phone was lighting up, and I scooted away to take her call. And towards the end of the call, I said, you know what, i got to go back to the table, and I have to do an amend from earlier, and I just want to commit to doing it to you. And she said, oh, kids are involved? Remember, six words or less. And I sat down at the table, and I made my amend. And at the end of the meal, which it was this big dinner, and my husband cleans up everybody's place, I said to him, and he's not one of us, what was your favorite thing about this meal? And in front of my nephew and niece and everyone at the table, he said, it was your cute smile and your apology. I came here to be thin. I came here to have people like me. And what I'm getting is connection. I never knew that that's what I needed. Um, I'm learning to pause. I'm learning to reach out when I want to pick up the food. or pick. What I heard is if you don't reach out, you're going to pick up the food eventually. I'm in a 10-step group where we help each other when we need it. I no longer have kitty parties. I no longer feel sorry for myself. I no longer call people to twirl in the toilet with me. I take people to meetings. About it. Six weeks ago, my blood pressure spiked. There were some things going on here in the house with my son and everyone, and I started to get my blood pressure to go up after five years of it not being up. I got stressed out. I thought, oh, my gosh, do I have to take blood pressure meds? What's going on with my diet? And all of a sudden, I decided I need to draw near to God. And literally, the next day, my blood pressure was back down to 110 over 64, and it's been that way since then. So I know this program works. My God is there for me. People say, lean into your God, press into your God. Your God is big. The biggest thing I think I do differently now is I show up differently. I do the dishes. I don't make a big deal out of food when I'm invited somewhere. I try to do things on people's terms. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I pick people up. I don't wait for people to come and get me. Um, my mom. A year and a half ago, I said, 
when my mom dies, I'm not going to miss what I had. I'm going to miss what I didn't have. Do you know what I mean? I'm here to tell you today that I am at complete peace with my mom. My mom absolutely is a beautiful, perfect person. At my wedding, my brother got up and said, my dad died 19 years ago, leaving my mom with five teenagers. Mom, stand up. I want to tell you, you do a hell of a job. I loved that, but I didn't breathe and feel that because I still had things that I thought she should do differently. On my fear inventory, when I did my fifth step, I wrote, I'm afraid my mom will die before she loves me. I am so glad I realized I have to love my mom before she dies. She's 84 years old. She came here in February and she stayed with me for four nights and we had no arguments. My in-laws, I think they are perfect and beautiful. For 20 years since I've been with my husband, they never invited me to one of his birthday lunches. And I always thought, when are they going to get the memo that I should be included? What is wrong with them? And I'd say to my husband, how come they don't invite me? Because what do you want me to do? Should I tell them to invite you? This year, they invited me. I don't think they got the memo. I think I changed so that I'm good company. I'm not there to dominate the conversation and bring up negative topics. They included me. My son asked me to chaperone his band trip this year. He's a kid that didn't want anything to do with me. One of my amend letters that I wrote, I ran into the girl in May, and I said hi. I ran into her in July, and we made a bit of small talk. I saw her last weekend. She asked me for a hug. I gave her her space. I did not bombard her. This program does transform relationships. I can tell you today, I work this program 100%. I am in it full butt. For once, I want to be free and at peace more than then. I am now down over 100 pounds. I am no longer on a spiritual plateau. I'm living steps 10 and 11 and 12. And when I'm disturbed, I pick up the phone and I do my turnarounds so that I can live undisturbed. And with that, I'll pass into. Thank you, Kathy Joe, for sharing your remarkable and profound story of transformation, personality change as a result of these 12 steps. Thank you so much. Kathy Joe's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And we'll now transition to question and answer segment. You can ask a question by pressing star one to unmute. Please state your name and the first li- initial of your last name. Helen L. Helen L. Anyone else? Lois S. Lois S. Coming in quite faint. Thank you. Who else? All right. Let's start with Helen. Mary Lee R. in Oregon. Mary Lee. Excellent. All right. Let's start with Helen L. Thank you. 
Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Kathy Joe. Kathy Joe, thank you so, so much. Um, this is Helen L., uh, gratefully recovered in Vancouver, Canada, today at uh, 6.14 a.m. I'm so glad that my higher power woke me up this morning to listen to you, Kathy Joe. This was so fantastic. I related to so much that you said. I just wanted to know if you have... Um, I'm just currently working on an eighth step and I have a wonderful sponsor who gives great advice and helps me through it. I just wanted to know if you had any additional tips, things that really, really helped you identify um, a really, you know, fearless and thorough list of people that you needed to make amends to and, uh, and or things. Thank you. Well, my list of amends were the people that I had resentments towards on my fifth step. It was very easy to find them. When I said that our goal is to have the best relationship with every person that we know, it's anyone that I didn't have a good relationship with. And I want to say that when I said I was like a drive-by shooting with the amends before, when I did those, I did each one purposeful, And any of the ones that were even an inch complicated, I worked it out with my sponsor before I did them. And I looked at my behavior and what I did wrong. I met with them. I asked them what I can do differently. One of my friends started crying and said, I never had anyone do this for me in my life. Thank you so much. She held my hand the whole entire time. It was beautiful. And by the way, I'm willing to help you if you need more help with that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kathy Joe. Have a great day. Thank you, Helen L. Lois, your Hi, turn. Can you hear me better now? It's still quite faint, but we can probably make out what you're saying. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. Hold on a second. I'll see if I can switch. Is that any better? Let's try it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, my name is Lois, and um, Leah, thank you very much for your service, and Kathy Joe, thank you for sharing your strength, hope, and experience. This is a more general question. I've, I've kind of stumbled upon these meetings, and I'm very interested in going through the process, and I, I can't find any information on it on meetings or whatever and I'm just wondering how I can learn more okay and I didn't say that but the very first day that I got on the line there's meetings um, 7 a.m. 8 a.m. and I'm confused for a minute 7 8 and 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time Monday through Friday at the tail end of two of those meetings, they asked for newcomers to introduce themselves. And I did that, and I started to be flooded with incredible calls and people. Can I ask you a question? I'm sorry. One moment, please. One moment. Let's attend to Lois. (laughs) Continue, Kathy Pardon? Okay. And I received calls and help. So what I want to say is, say your name, give us your phone number, 
and we are here to guide and help you. I promise you that will happen for you. It's simple. Thank you. What is the um, phone number and PIN for these um, meetings? I believe it's going to be shared at the end of this meeting today. And by the way, it's the same phone number today as it is Monday. Okay, and should I leave? And why my... don't you contact me? Why don't you contact me afterwards, and I'll let you um, get that information from me. I can send you a text or whatever is, with all of the details. Is that Leah or is that Kathy? I'm, Kathy I'm... Joan. My number will be shared at the end. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right. Yep. Excellent. You betcha. Thank you, Kathy Joe. Welcome to you, Lois. Mary Lee R. Your turn. Star one to unmute. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Kathy Joe. I had to laugh at the uh, at your six a.m. reaction. Try four a.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> my question is about m- making amends to your children, and do you have any? Um, it, it just seems to be an ongoing process for me, and I'm wondering how it has been working for you. Okay, and I was reminded again that they're children and to do it at their level. And I did both of them. I um, kept it very simple, let them say more about what they saw, um, about, I don't even know, and I bet you every kid does it. Keep in mind my daughter is a teenager, and she said about, Three months afterwards, you know, you haven't changed at all. And another day, she said, you barely changed at all. And I said, she said, Mom, if a 10 means you changed a whole bunch, you're only like a 6 or a 7. And I thought, praise God. I'm right now working on my relationship ideals. And I didn't mention this in my talk, but... Along the way, I found out other people did that earlier or they did they do their 10 steps. They write them out first rather than call first. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways that people do this, and I believe the guides that we have, that's who God wants us to work with, and we're doing it the way that we need to do it. So I didn't do my relationship ideals, and I'm working on them now because I want the freedom and the peace that I have in my relationship with my mom and my in-laws to be with my children and my husband. I want peace in my home. It has changed dramatically. It is way more wonderful here. Dramatically, sorry, dramatically. But there's still some work to be done. And I want to also mention that a part of the amends is doing things differently. So I used to yell, get me a glass of water, as I sat on the couch. Now I get them a glass of water. I do the dishes. I do a lot of dishes. So that's what I got. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mary Lee R. Who else has a question for our speaker this morning, Kathy Joe P. Hi, this uh, is Lois C. from Minneapolis. I have a question. Cynthia C. And Cynthia C. Who else? Star one. Wait, did you get Lois? 
I did, Lois. Thank you so Thank much. You. Just hold on. Let's get a grouping here. Lois and Cynthia, who else would like to ask a question this morning? Star one to unmute. Dame. I didn't catch that. Jen. Jen. Uh, it's Dame, like Notre Dame. Got it. Thank you. Gen Z. Gen Z. Suzanne J. from New York. Suzanne J. Excellent. Okay, Lois, you're up. Thank you so much, Leah, for your service. Kathy Joe, thank you so much for your amazing talk this morning. I have the privilege of getting to see you here in Minneapolis often, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, how your experience at the core treatment facility dovetails with your work in A Vision for You. Meaning, I know you so well, but on the other hand, I don't know um, how that journey of being at that facility went to um, you working A Vision for You and um, were they entirely congruent with one another? If you could just talk about that more. Well, first of all, I think that the message that I needed was available to me to my OA sponsor who, like I said, the quote, only the disciplined are free. There was nothing that the program did not give me that I needed with CORE. I needed to go there to get off of sugar. I don't know. I'm one of the people in the big book It talks about some people need to be hospitalized. I think I was one of those people. Um, a lot of people don't need that. And I um, was failing to give my program 100%. I didn't mention this in my talk, but I would go to the director there and say, can I be the Saturday night speaker someday? And I remember she'd say, when you're at goal weight or 100 pounds down, you get to be the Saturday night speaker. And I was mad because I couldn't get there. And the minute I hit 100, she asked me to speak. I don't know if it so much was that I hit 100 as much as that my ego had turned around. And I wasn't there to get a big star and say, you're a good girl, Kathy Jo. It was just to be a service. So there's some background noise there. Thank you. We'll take care of that. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and I... um. There, I just believe all this works hand in hand. We show up at the live meetings to bring the message of experience, strength, and hope. And we all work together. And there is no right or wrong way to do this. I think what matters is that we're doing it. And um, I think that's what I have on that. I'll pass. Thank you very much. Cynthia C., your turn. Hi, thank you so much, Leah, for your service. And Kathy Joe, thank you so much for your qualification and your share. I got so much out of it. Um, I guess what I'd actually like to, and somebody already sort of touched upon my question, but I'm wanting to go into it a little bit more, is that, um, you know, I've made a lot of changes and I've been working the steps and I've been working really, really hard. And I see changes. I mean, I see a lot of changes in myself. Um, <clears throat> And I see how it's improving my marriage, 
but and but I also have three teenage girls, um, and I also get a lot of the comments that well, you haven't changed at all, um, because I don't always often like what my answer is. Um, I guess I'm wondering if you could talk I don't know a little bit more about that. Like, how do you a little bit more about working you know working the steps? I'm not sure that I made amends quite the way I needed. You know, I'm not sure I made amends as well as I needed to with my kids. Like, do you continue to make amends? Like. And also, I, I also don't think I wrote up uh, my relationship ideals um, early on. And I guess, if, could you talk a little bit more about what does it mean to you right now to write up your relationship ideals? And like, are you doing it for every single relationship or more of your family? Um, with that, I'll, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Well, I just started to work on it. And by the way, it's described at about page 68 to 69 in the big book. And it is around the sexual um, inventory. And yes, it includes a sex inventory and the relationship um, with my husband and my children. Maybe I'll add to that too. I don't know. Um, I can guarantee you it's better. My relationships are better, like I said. Um, I, my father-in-law told me recently he's never known me to be so tender. My mother and I, mother-in-law and I kiss each other goodbye. She says, I love you. And again, after a meal, I get up and do the dishes. I think the first time I got up and I did the dishes, I thought someone should say, oh my gosh, Kathy Joe did the dishes. I think that they barely noticed because they all did them before. And it's a part of being a human as you do your part. So um, I, I do think it's a process. I know that there's another OA meeting called the family afterward. I'm guessing that they talk more about that. It's a process. It's, I think it's the hardest to practice these principles with our loved ones. But, um, you know, and any time that we need to, let's return and let's go back and let's do the work and let's dig deeper and figure out how we can show up differently. So I don't have a perfect answer, but my answer is to keep working, keep digging, keep looking at what needs to change in you. And I'll pass. Thank you, Cynthia C. Dame, your question, please. Star one to unmute. Hi, Kathy Joe. Thank you so much for the for the story that you shared with us. It it really moved me a lot. Um, I'm fairly early in OA, and I'm fairly early in this process. And um, I'm working through my fourth step, which I'm going to be sharing with my sponsor tomorrow. Um, but in this period of the last couple of days, as I've been working through this step, I've just been buried under so much um, mortification at there's so much, there's so many fears, there's so much um, embarrassment over the things I've done and the way that I behave. And I um, my, I know my sponsor had told me that I could call her anytime I needed her, but I feel afraid to call her about every little thing that's going through my mind and all of this pain and self-doubt that I'm going through right now. And I don't know... One of my fears is, is, you know, bothering people and, you know, being annoying. And I don't know what, how you feel about what you're supposed to try and figure out on your own and 
when you're supposed to be reaching out to people. Um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. This is a we program. This is not an I program. We're here to help you. You asking us to help you helps us. It helps us to stay out of self, and that's what we're trying to do. Please reach out. Congratulations on what you're doing. It's a lot of hard work. You don't need to do it alone. Let us help you. Return the phone calls of the people that have called you. Call them again. It just brings joy to us. So please reach out. Call me today. My number will be shared. Thank you. Thank you, Dame. Jen Z. Your turn, start one to unmute. Hello, can you hear me? I do. Um, Thank you for sharing, Kathy Jo. I just wonder if you have advice for me. I'm at a place now where um, my my connection to God is fizzled out. I don't feel his presence. Uh, I don't feel connection with him. And um, I've broken a six-month abstinence, um, and I'm now two days free from flour and sugar. um, And um, I'm face-to-face with my character defects on a daily basis. And I don't, I'm not running to sugar um, to mask those feelings, and I'm feeling them. And it's very uncomfortable. And my family is getting the brunt of my character defects. And the difference now is I'm aware of my character defects. So along with them come the guilt of the selfishness that I'm experiencing and that my family is experiencing. And I feel like... um, I don't know. I feel like I'm lost, and I'm not sure what what I need to do um, to get out of this uh, cycle that I'm in. So whatever advice you could give me would be great. I'm also in a bit of a depression, too. To me, it sounds like you're in a perfect spot. You're in step one. You're feeling the hopelessness. You're feeling like food, relationships, character defects, your relationship with God your moods, everything is at the bottom and it's a perfect place. And you said you don't know what you need to do. All you need to do is reach out to God. And it does say, again, I mentioned it at the end of the agnostic chapter, draw near to God and he will reveal himself to you. It's an ongoing process. You don't have to figure it out today. And the reason that I kept plugging along was by hearing people sharing the freedom and the transformation that they had. I've been there. I know what that's like. And I'm happy you have two days. Keep reaching out. You're in a perfect spot. One of my friends in this program says, if you're only a little bit unhappy or a little bit miserable or a little bit struggling, it's not going to work. Being desperate, being at the bottom, being miserable is right where you need to be. Welcome home. I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. Gen Z, your turn. That was me. I already. Oh, I'm sorry, Jen. (laughs) Thank you. Suzanne 
Jay. Thank you, Jen. Suzanne, Jay. It's really interesting um, because, oh, hi, this is Suzanne Jay. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I know Kathy, Joe, and Lois from Minneapolis. We've been OA peeps for a long, long time, and I left Minneapolis uh, in October, and I've been staying with family for the last few months and um, thought I was doing pretty well. You know, I I don't have my OA peeps. I haven't been going to my meetings anymore. I tried to call in and uh, caught my local meeting by phone most of the time and return calls and, you know, but I'm not as involved anymore. And I, after four years of very strong abstinence and lots and lots of service and lots and lots of work and 120 pound weight loss, I really felt like I had it down and uh, um, I'm not eating sugar at all. I'm very careful about that. And I, thought I was paying attention to my portions and I thought that I was doing okay and I got on the scale and I've gained 15 pounds in the last two months and I am completely terrified and so when my dear friend Kathy Joe said I'm speaking I said that's it I've got it you know every morning my phone says call a vision for you and it's at 7 here because I'm on the East Coast right now. And somehow I wake up at 7.05 and 7.10 and I don't pick up the phone. But when I got on the scale, all of a sudden I was like, you're not okay. And I'm just kind of lost right now. So, Kathy Joe, thank you for what you just said to Jen because it was exactly what I needed to hear. And uh, I'm really glad you reached out to me to let me know this was happening this morning because it's what I need to get back on the stick. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Suzanne J. Who else has a question this morning for Kathy Joe? Star one to unmute. Liz T in Minnesota. Liz T. Cheryl H. Cheryl H. Anyone else? Marla. S. Mar- <clears throat> Marla S. Anne Marie M. Anne Marie M. Jasmine H. Anyone else? This will probably be our final invitation for questions. Jasmine H. Yes, Jasmine, thank you. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Margie K. Margie K. All right. Let's start with Liz T. Thank you. Lori B. And Lori B., we got gotcha. you. Okay. Good Liz- morning. Good morning. This is Liz T. in Minnesota, and um, thank you so much, Leah and Kathy Joe, for your amazing service. And um, Kathy, I have had the privilege of of witnessing your transformation over the last few years. And and um, I guess one question that was coming up for me, um, especially when I'm working with newcomers, 
who are perhaps bogged down with the unmanageability of step one, um, recognizing my life is unmanageable. Um, any practical, just simple advice or, or feedback you give them for putting first things first. Um, sometimes I find when I'm trying to set up or, you know, welcoming or inviting them to a phone call to start going over doctor's opinion. Um, it seems like there's so much going on in their lives, it's hard for them to find time to commit. And I know we all have our own bottom and no one can experience our step one experience for us. But do you have any um, any pointers you give them for clearing their schedule or um, you know, making recovery priority versus what our material world tells us that that um, you know, for me, I had to put the the cart before the horse in the sense of putting my spirituality first in my life. And does, does that resonate for you at all, or is there anything that comes up for you as something helpful for someone new starting out? Thank you. Well. Sheila J. spoke back in May on A Vision for You, and she talked about um, having people, potential people that she's ready to work with, read page 96 and write about it for a paragraph and then call her. I frequently do that. And I remember one time in the very beginning, I missed a call with my sponsor, or I was late. And she said, are you wanting to work with me? Do you want to do this work? Because if you don't, I need to find someone else that does. Because I need to do this or I will die. So I now, in the beginning, I remember calling fellows, needing to do 10 steps, being frustrated because I felt like my prospect didn't want to do the work the way that I wanted them to do it or the way I hoped that it, they would do it. And now I don't chase people if people are ready, they will do it. I was ready. I did it, except for missing that one call, but then I was back on track right away. Um, I can't make people want it. Um, we can't do the work for people. If I hang up with someone and I feel exhausted, I'm working for them. A sponsor cannot do the work for you. They can only share what they've done and help you get to the light, get to the book, get to the steps. But we can't do the work for them. So that's what I got, and I'll pass. Thank you, Thank Lynn you. T. Thanks. Cheryl H. Star one to unmute. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, this is Cheryl H. Kathy Joe from Wisconsin. Um, great to hear you this morning and um, on the meeting. And uh, I was just wondering, I have personally found that, this is going to sound strange, I personally found that being abstinent from sugar for almost six years now is easier than um, continuing uh, my, continuing to kind of have a structure to improve my conscious contact with my higher power. It's something I constantly have to challenge myself with and I'm just wondering what you do to continue um, what you do daily to continue your um, spiritual growth and thank you again for sharing you bet um, I have a theology degree I have a pastoral ministry certificate 
like I said, I was religious in the beginning, the first time I came into OA. And when I came back, I didn't have it figured out at all. Some mornings, all I do is I get up, get my cup of coffee, and I sit in front of my fake electric fireplace (laughs) in the dark with the blanket on my lap. I listen to spiritual music, which is often Pandora yoga music. I ask God to be with me throughout the day. I, again, I don't have to do it the way that everybody else does. If someone else meditates for 20 minutes or someone else gets on their knees for however long, I do want to mention my sponsor I was talking about earlier, though. She gets down on her knees every morning and every night and asks God to remove the compulsion. I think that the more that I draw near to God, the happier I am. And it is an ongoing process. God is revealing himself to me slowly but surely. And um, it's, a, it's an unfolding for me. I don't have it figured out, but I actually feel better about it than I ever have. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Kathy Jo. And thank you, Cheryl H. Marla S., your turn. Star 1 to unmute. Hi there. Sorry, I had trouble pressing the right button on my phone. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Kathy Jo. Can you hear me? I do. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks, Kathy Jo, and thank you, Leah. Um, Kathy Jo, just a quick question as a follow-up to your um, sponsoring question, uh, talk that someone asked you a moment ago. Um, if you're working with a sponsor that um, is uh, coming out of different relapses and has been in program for several years, um, what do you do to help them if um, they are picking up and then we put it down, we wait a while, then we get them abstinent again, and then we start working in the book again. Um, it seems to be happening maybe three or four times. Of, um, and basically, I'm just um, continuing to wait, okay, get abstinent again, step back in the book again. Do you have any suggestions for that? I mean, we've talked about willingness and how you're really powerless. Uh, how's your life on that? Is there anything else you do, or is there a certain number of times that if someone keeps picking up, you say, hey, this, you're not ready yet? What do you do with that? And I'll pass. I basically don't work with people that are in the food. Now, I know there there are people that will do that, but I don't. Um, If I'm with someone and they do relapse, I guess I would take it case by case. But I really can't help someone get out of the food. Um, I can help them identify their alcoholic foods and figure out what their food plan is by directing them towards a nutritionist. But um, I believe that if we're working with someone and they keep picking up food, the best service that we could do is to let them go. And this is my opinion that might sound harsh, and I know there's going to be someone else that does it differently, but that's me. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Marla, for the question. And Marie M., Star one time mute. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for your service. And um, Kathy Joe, oh my gosh, um, I too have been witness to your transformation, and um, you have given me so much hope this morning. Um, as you know, I've been struggling for a while, um, 
And um, my question is, um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Um, you talked about that woman that said that you know, um, discipline was was everything, and and then I heard you say that you know when you go out to eat or you go to someone's house, you don't make such a big deal out of the food. So, um, what has been more helpful to you? Um, I don't want to use the word rigid, but having a concise food plan and a concise program or to wear life like a loose garment. I know that's somewhere in the AA literature. Um, and so um, to be more um, more God-focused, I guess, rather than food-focused, but yet having a um, strict plan. I, I don't know. If, can you understand my question? Well, I want to say first of all, so the only dis only the disciplined are free. I doubt yeah. it had a lot to do with the food. I think it had to do with the program and working these steps and the structure of the program. But um, what I mean by showing up differently and not making a big deal out of the food is I used to, you know, my in-laws, my niece is coming home from the military this week. My sister-in-law said she's serving pizza. She asked me to make a salad. I'm going to make a salad. I'm going to bring my four ounces of protein and a little Ziploc. The dressing is going to be on the side. I don't eat pizza. So I'll have my salad and my meat and measure out my dressing when we're ready to eat and not make it a big deal. They don't need to know I'm not going to eat pizza. Nobody's going to notice I don't eat pizza. I went to a work party. They were going to have a buffet. It was a very big event that cost them a lot of money. I didn't call and say, what are you going to serve? What are you going to serve? I ate my dinner at home. I went to this great event, dressed up. I had fizzy water with a lime. It's, I, and I lived, and I felt connected, and I felt celebrated, and I felt happy. I danced with my husband. I had fun. He ate. He thought the food was fantastic. And that's what I mean about making it not be all about the food. I make it simple. I I quietly bring my stuff or make it work rather than I used to tell people constantly what I ate and didn't eat. Some people don't even know I'm on the plant. A friend invited me over for dinner at her house in her backyard. I showed up with my bowl. I said, I'm going to eat this tonight. She didn't argue with me. She didn't ask me, oh, my gosh, why are you not? eating my whatever. That's what I mean. So I hope that makes sense and I'll pass. Thank you, Anne-Marie M. Jasmine H., your turn. Good morning. This is Jasmine H., compulsive overeater in Tennessee. And I, I was uh, a bit discouraged in my first few Vision for You meetings when I heard uh, the attendees talk about something you shared in this in this session, um, letting people go who are in the food. Um, it's like we're not worth working with, and I hear you. I'm not, um, I don't want to challenge that piece, 
or, or hear more discouragement, but what I would like to know is how did you personally get out of the food? Thank you for letting me ask my question. And I pass. I would, okay, I would say I stayed in close contact with my sponsor, like calling her in the beginning. I said, she said, are you willing to let go of all your alcoholic foods? And I said, yes. And she said, what are they? And I named two. And then she asked me about another thing that some people struggle with. And I said, all right, I'll do that one too. And I introduced myself on the line, like I said, and I talked to people and I listened. And I spent a lot of time hearing people experience strength and hope as I let go of all my alcoholic foods. And I was willing to do it and try it. And again, you don't have to worry about three days. You just have to worry about today. Today, can you let go of all your alcoholic foods? And before you knew it, I had three days. And before you knew it, it was August. So I leaned on the people that were calling me, and I asked them to share. Someone would call me, and I said, will you tell me your story? And I listened to a lot of stories, and it helped me. And with that, I'll come. Thank you, Jasmine H. Margie K., your turn. Star 1 to unmute. Hi, this is Margie K., um, Graceful Compulsive Overeater. And that was some speaker. You were just an outstanding speaker, and listening to you, it brought a lot of things back to me on what I need to do. Um, but there are a couple of things that I, I'm struggling with. Number one, I struggle with meditation and how to meditate. Um, I struggle with wanting to get on the scale to see where I am at. And um, when I, I heard you say about alcoholic foods, um, I, I don't know well, I do know some of my alcoholic foods, but I'm almost at a point where I think food in itself is alcoholic for me. How do I distinguish? Uh, do I do I start with just giving up the the sugar and the white flour? I don't, I don't know where to start because I can't get a regular food plan um, that's going to work for me as of yet. And I know I got to be honest with myself. So listening to you. I know I got to put down the food, um, but I'm I'm just struggling getting on the scale, meditating, and figuring out my alcoholic foods. Thank you for listening to me. Go ahead. Okay. Well, first of all, I weigh once a month on the 13th of the month. This year, I'm going to be at the LA birthday party, so I'll have to weigh on the 16th when I get back. I don't hop on the scale. I have my abstinence scale my non-alcoholic scale, and it's at the YWCA. That's where I weigh in the nude before breakfast. There's other scales are alcoholic scales for me. I don't jump on random scales. And I would say I was a scaleaholic. I loved to weigh. It was all about the body and the weight and losing and gaining for me. I no longer do that. I weigh once a month. I've asked sponsees to put their scales in their trunk. I've asked sponsees to give their scales away. My sponsees weigh once a month. 
Um, and for a lot of us, including me, we're also addicted to more and quantity and volume. I recommend that most people weigh and measure their food for at least the first 90 days. I still weigh and measure 96% of the time. When I go out to eat, I don't always weigh and measure. But I was addicted and I'm addicted to more. Quantities, feeling full, feeling satiated. You said you're addicted to food, period. So that made me think about the volume. And I can't sort all this out alone. I had to work with a sponsor to figure out my alcoholic foods and work, at the, work with a nutritionist to get my plan. I remember when I wasn't following this and I was manipulating my food plan so I could eat gigantic bowls of popcorn, I called my nutritionist and I, I noticed Lois was losing weight and I said, can I please have three ounces of protein at lunch and dinner instead of four ounces? She said, why? And I said, because Lois is losing weight and I'm not. And she said, Lois is 5'4 and you're 5'8. You need four ounces. I have to tell you, when I surrendered and I worked this program and I followed that food plan, I lost weight. Imagine that. I'm down 49 pounds since that day. So making me over 100 down now. This program works. My food plan works. It's the surrender and following it rather than being in charge of it that did not work for me. My way did not work. And I tried to manipulate it every single way possible, and it just did not work. So I would work with a sponsor, I would work with a nutritionist, and I would be honest with yourself. And God removes the desire. I have cookies next to me as I'm talking to you. My daughter made them last night. I'm in the kitchen so I don't wake up my family, and they're right here. That's like air to me. So God will remove the desire. It's promised in the big book. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. I appreciate all your input. Thank you, Margie K., for the question. Our final question for the morning comes from Lori B. Lori, star one, not unmute. Hi, this is Lori B. And uh, it's really not a question. I just connected to this phone call um, a couple of days ago. And I just wanted to say thank you for the overwhelming um, people that called me back. Um, I've been feeling isolated and I got maybe five phone calls. And I'm just so grateful and very interested. So I'm going to keep connecting. So that's all I wanted to say today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lori, and welcome to you. Thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning, and of course, thank you, Kathy Joe, for telling your remarkable story of transformation. Quite a miracle. Lots of testimony as to the results of these 12 steps. Let's close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. 
clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find, and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>